FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 144 of the podcast that goes snicked. We're your hosts, Jason and Denise Venable, live from the news desk at Battle World Central, here to bring you a Secret Wars update. Update, update, wait, I gotta get rid of the rubble. <laughs> yes, it's all crumbling down, isn't uh, it? That's right. Not yet. But anyway, but yeah, we're gonna talk about all the, uh, all the Wolverine-related miscellaneous Secret Wars stuff from August. Aren't we at the end of August? Yeah, that's why we can talk about all of it. Oh. You don't have to skip anything. Do I have to read it all? Mm, maybe. Okay. You can fake it. I won't comment. <laughs> I've seen the way you read some of these comics. What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> yes, let's, let's just say sometimes your finger moves a little fast on the swipey swipey. <laughs> like you're on Tinder and you don't like that page. <laughs> well, when there's... Comics m- Tinder. There's no... Um, oh, that panel's bad. Oh, I'll swipe that one. <laughs> There's very little commentary, and <laughs> sometimes it's like, eh, I get the gist. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get you caught up on all the Secret Wars stuff from August 2015 that involves Wolverine in any shape, form, or fashion. Ooh, okay. So, with that said, you ready to talk about some comics? Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Well, hold on now. Before we get to Old Man Logan, I have to interrupt with a uh, a little segment we haven't done in quite a while. So it's, hey, remember when, hey, remember when Wolverine was alive was a segment? Because <laughs> um, while, uh, while most of Marvel is just armpit deep in Secret Wars, there's still a few titles kind of dawdling around in the old world with uh, last days. And one of those is Magneto. So, Magneto 21 is written by Colin Bunn, with art by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and cover by David Yarden. And on this cover... We have Magneto kneeling in some white space, looking at his helmet. And then kind of behind him, being overrun by the white space, kind of slowly. Like, it looks like the white space, almost like it's being erased. Like, the background is being erased. And the background is full of, well, it's just chock full of of the brightest (laughs) moments of Magneto's history. And uh, it's a pretty cool cover. I like it. So, basically... In this last day's stories, uh, this arc that is ending uh, Colin Bunn's Magneto series, uh, Magneto has somehow found a way to power himself up to the max, the most powerful he's ever been, and he knows about the incursions, and he's going to try to use his magnetic powers to stop an incursion. And basically, he's kind of burning himself out. He knows he's going to die, and he's reflecting back on his life. And we have a couple of highlights. We have the first time he ever fought the X-Men, kind of when he revealed himself to the world, and those pages, especially that first page, are amazing. The art 
by Walta and the colors by the extraordinary Bel Air. Just amazing. Then he also remembers when he sunk the Leningrad, and then he remembers when he took over Genosha. And of course, um, Wolverine was present during some of those flashbacks, particularly the one in Genosha. There's a great panel of, of Wolverine screaming at Magneto. Then we also see a couple other different times that Wolverine fought Magneto. And of course, we include the time where Magneto pulled his adamantium out through his, from his bones, through his pores. And all that, basically, Magneto is, as he's dying, he's thinking about his legacy. And he thinks that it doesn't matter about his motivations. He still committed all these horrible atro- atrocities. And that's his legacy, is pain and anger and vengeance and not necessarily justice, and kind of at the end says, oh, Charles, why didn't I see you were right about me, that my mission overruled my life and my emotions, my negative emotions dominated who I was, they defined me, they are my legacy, I wish it wasn't true. Even now, as I'm trying to save the world, people are are cheering for me, but they're wondering, well, what if he saves the world, is it going to rule us? (laughs) You know, or try to destroy us. Like, when's the other shoe gonna drop? And that's that's what I've created of myself and for myself. But then, of course, he fails. He's not powerful enough to stop the incursion, which we know because we're four or five issues into Secret Wars by now. But the best thing, one of the best lines, is Polaris is looking up as everything starts to burn away to white which were is Doom's godlike magic, I'm assuming, doing his thing. But um, she looks up into the white, and she says, My father always hated this world, hated these people, but still he, he tried. And then we fade to complete white, and that's it. So, the art is pretty good. I'm a Walter fan. I really liked his Wolverine was pretty good. The flashbacks in particular were pretty amazing. And the story was, was really good. This series has been a super strong one, and I hope that Bun carries over the tone and themes into his new Uncanny X-Men series, Post-Secret Wars, which will, of course, feature Magneto. And so I hope we kind of not get, like, the same story necessarily, but that'd be okay if we did. But just kind of a continuation of what this book is, I hope that's what Uncanny X-Men is, the new one. Yeah, this book's really good. Really enjoyed it. Um... I would give it five out of six claws. So that was, hey, remember when, hey, remember when Wolverine was alive was a segment? All right, now back to Old Man Logan and more Secret Wars coverage. Okay, and as usual, before we go out to our special Secret Wars field correspondence, we're going to talk about Old Man Logan. In this case, Old Man Logan number four. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Andrea Sorrentino, colors by Marcello Maiolo, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and the cover by Sorrentino and Maiolo. And on this cover, we have Wolverine's fist with some claws slicing his way through some random hands. And it's all like a nice red, yellow, orangey tint. It's pretty gruesome, pretty violent looking. I yeah, dig it. I, I love it. And it kind of reminds me of The Walking Dead, if you remove Wolverine's claws. Yeah, you know, and it's funny you should say that, because if you remember from last time, Iron Man Thor had dropped Old Man Logan off in the Deadlands, 
where he's going to have to fight a bunch of Marvel zombies. Ooh. And they're not afraid to use the Z word. I like the word walker. Yep. So that's where he is. Uh, I love our title page. So we have a nice black page with white print. With mismatched, not really lined up. This again. (laughs) I just threw it in. My random, you know. Right. And in the middle, we have a nice red bar. And on this bar in white and crimson, we have a broken up, busted jaw with teeth flying around. I think this is awesome looking. It is awesome. Although I kind of, when I saw this page, I made an inside joke to myself. I went, jawbone, ha, ha, ha. Wonder if it has surround sound. Huh? Jawbone, it's the name of a speaker. Oh. Carry on then. (laughs) Carry on, my. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. So side note, I love that that's like the supernatural theme song. You would. I, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> no, I love that song. My favorite <laughs> I won't use any names. Uh, because someone might be incriminated or and or embarrassed. Are but, you are you talking about me? No, no, no. But one of my favorite ever, and we'll get we'll get back to old man Logan here in a second. Oh, sidebar. But one of my favorite ever Kansas stories. You know, Kansas is a, they sing Wayward Son. Right. Well, their other hit is a little song called Dust in the Wind. Yes. I remember one time I had some friends in town and they were out, and I was going to catch up with them the next night. But I got a call from one of my friends. And they were staying at, they were in town visiting his mom's house. When he called me, friend A called me and said, dude, Jason, friend B is like completely wasted, like beyond recognition. Uh-oh. And is puking like in my car. Like I can't take him back to my mom's house. Why do I feel like I already know who these people are? <laughs> you actually, I don't know if you do or not. But um, he's like, dude, I hate to ask you this. I know it's like three in the morning. Is there any way I can bring him to your apartment? <laughs> no. <laughs> and being the good friend that I was, I was like, yeah, dude, you know, come over. We'll put him in the shower. I'll, we'll go get him some Waffle House, some coffee, whatever, and try to sober him up. So they come over, and Kevin's like, uh-oh. <coughs> and friend A <laughs> is like, all right, well, friend B's in the car. Can you help me bring him inside? So I go get him inside. We, I don't even take his clothes off. We literally just throw him in the shower. I did that to my college room. Turn on the cold water. Did that to my college room. Put his head up and tell him not to drown. Oh, I didn't tell him not to drown. Yeah. And then friend A is like, all right, well, I'm going to go home. My mom's going to be worried. <laughs> See ya. Then he ditches me, runs off. I was like, all right, well, I'll catch you in the morning. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll hook back up and you can come get this fool out of my house um, or my apartment. So I, I go in the living room. My apartment was, I guess you would call it a uh, economy apartment. Efficiency? Efficiency, yeah. So I had actually a really nice sized living room, then a tiny kitchen, and then actually a pretty big bedroom that was like the same size as the living room, but that was the whole apartment. Right. And then I had a little bathroom off to the side to the bedroom. So the only way to get to the bathroom was through the bedroom. Right. So he's in there taking a shower cold shower i i'll go in the living room watch some tv for a little bit and i'll go and check on him so i had the tv and i hear this noise i'm like what what is that and i turn the tv down and i hear the 
I'm like, what is that? So I walk in and I knock on the door. He's like, hey, friend B, you in there? Are you okay? He's like, inside. I'm like, oh, man. So I open the door and he's in there and he had taken off most of his clothes. (laughs) They're wet in a pile on my floor, which is kind of my fault. You know, I left them on, put them in the shower. I can't complain that he got my floor wet. Um, but he's in the, sh- in the shower, I think in his boxers. And he's, he's like kind of in this. If you've ever seen like old movies where people are in the asylum. And, and they're, they're swaying like back and forth. Hugging their knees and they're kind of rocking. So he's doing that in the shower and the water's on him. And he's, <laughs> he's singing Dust in the Wind. It's like because he was dusted like, in the wind. Oh, we are in dust in the wind. Here we are in dust. <laughs> and he continues to sing that for like ten minutes, and I just kind of let it go. And I call Kevin, and I hold the phone up. I didn't listen to what our friend is doing. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that's my favorite story about the band Kansas. Oh, see, my favorite story is so my first dog that I ever got on my own was a pug. And her name was Kansas because when after I bought her, stuck her in the back seat, driving down the road, heading home, turned on the radio, dust in the wind comes on. <laughs> I get to a stoplight. I look in the rearview mirror and the dog, it's a pug. It's sitting up like a human being, like, you know, front paws up in the air, back legs out. Like it's sitting like a person. Right. And it's swaying back and forth <laughs> to dust in the wind. And that's when I decided this dog's name is Kansas. <laughs> Should have called it Dusty. Well, it was a girl. No, but Kansas is good too. Well, and then it was funny because anytime I'd have someone dog sit, the guy that would dog sit was always like, "So I'm gonna watch Montana this weekend." No, what what state did you name your dog? <laughs> they sound like an idiot. <laughs> it's my hairdresser. <laughs> in the wind. I in the wind. <laughs> So, speaking of dust in the wind. We got blood in the wind. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You took the words literally out of my mouth. This is why we're married. Just don't put them back in. No, that's gross. <laughs> yeah, so we open up to this double-page spread that looks like... Like, at first glance, I thought the shadow on the side was like a figure. And this was like a bunch of TV monitors. Oh. And this literally, it's a two-page spread, but it's broken up in a grid just because. It's because Sorrentino's cool You can like that. see it better on the iPad. Oh, much. But yeah, the shadowy part is a lot less shadowy. It's more yeah. defined in the digital copy. Anyway, in the middle of all these squares, this old man Logan literally getting, like, gangbanged by a bunch of zombies, and he's cutting them to shreds. And pumpkins. Oh, yeah, there's a zombie jack-o'-lantern in there. Yeah. Uh, there's a several, like, zombie venoms. I'm not sure what that's all about. But yeah. It's called copy and paste. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, old man Logan's talking about he has no idea how long he's been there. Feels like forever, but there's no no way to tell time. It's just one constant kind of sunset, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's dusk all the time. But yeah, he's cut through some zombies, and it's it's pretty much hell on earth. And he's like, well, maybe it actually is hell. Maybe I died, and this is what happened. I came here. Yeah. So we get some more cool art, and we get an awesome panel. It's all like in red and white. I will say this book utilizes that um, style yes. very well. well Sorrentino does that really well. They don't overuse it, right? but they don't underuse it. Like it's just the right amount. Yeah, I agree. 
old man Logan says something really cool. He goes, I might be a potential meal to these zombie monster bastards, but I ain't an easy one. Anything's got to be easier to eat than me. Yeah. That's what she said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, he runs and jumps off a cliff, and the zombies run after him and fall off the cliff. And he has little memories about his family. And it's like, well, maybe that's none of that's even real. Maybe yeah. this is real. And I, the Hulk killed, killed me, me the first time and yeah. everything else was a dream. But then he realizes he's not alone. And we talked about before, I think last, last time we did this book, that of all the X titles in Secret Wars, this was the only one that kind of seemed to tie into the bigger picture. Yes. And so we meet a character. And I, I know you haven't really read this, this series. And we see a version of She-Hulk. Yeah. And this is from the A-Force series. And I will say, on this particular panel, I love your floppy. It, the color on it is way better. On the iPad, it's just a little oversaturated. It's a little too bright. Yeah. yeah. But then there are certain parts that, like, I could see the detail in the, the shadows. Right. Where you couldn't. But this panel alone loses a feeling that you get when you look at the floppy that's true i agree it's a little darker a little moodier yeah and you and, get that sense of kind like, of the um the dissolution of the image and the dark makes it more powerful right and you get that feeling of what he's experiencing right like i can make out that someone is sitting over there but i can't make out who exactly it is yeah. but we know who it is it's she hulk from the a4 series because if you remember in the last issue of that book, if you're reading it, uh, She-Hulk was punished by Doom and sent to the Deadlands as well. Yes. And they actually talk about that a little bit, but they don't really explain where she came from. They just say, yeah. oh, I pissed off Doom. <laughs> yeah. But we get a nice little snicked. With I love the snicked, and I think it should be nominated. Okay. Well, it's basically the fist separates the letter. Yeah, and there's just something about it. It looks really cool. It makes, it's like it's in surround sound. Yeah. <laughs> and she hulks like, put those away. They won't hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you're, you're real? Pointless. Yeah, and then we get a nice like two-page conversation. So you talked about last time that you kind of missed out on the middle comic. Yeah. Because you only got one page at a time. Right. Well, this one benefits you because if you read across, you read out of order. Yes. <laughs> well, and I always read because the iPad's so small. And sometimes this print is so tiny and I don't always wear my glasses. <laughs> um, so I read in guided view. So I have to, it zooms it in, but then I'll get a sense, like even in guided view, I'm like, mm, there's a lot of panels and the way it slides, it's like, uh, and then I'll always flip out and look at the page as a whole, like how right. it's designed as a whole. And then I'll go back to the individual panels. So unfortunately where guided view is great because you can read a comic without your glasses you do lose something in yeah. the translation. In fact, it's, it's give and take. What page? Oh, it's this page. It's the page that's uh, the page before you get the She-Hulk. And it's like a black square, a piece of art, black square, piece of art. And so when I was on it, I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> just all black. It's just all black with like little words. And I'm like, what? Yeah, and you miss a lot from that page because you don't see the whole design of where the panels are filled in yeah. and where they're not. Yeah, so I, I read all the the squares and then I went back and I looked at the overall design but yeah there is as much as I love the iPad because you can zoom in and you can read stuff and it's easy to take all of your comics with you there are a lot of like artistic drawbacks to it sorry on no, that's, fine. No, that's, that's great so they they have a nice little conversation they they talk about how they know each other but they don't really 
<laughs> so Wolverine knows a She-Hulk, and She-Hulk knows a Wolverine. Right. But they're not really the same. But I love uh, the way Bendis writes She-Hulk here. Yeah. Because uh, Wolverine's like, well, how long have you been down here? She's like, well, see, thing is, I forgot my watch. <laughs> <laughs> and she keeps asking if he has any snacks. She's like, Snickers? Well, the, Toblerone? The, the Snickers part I thought was hilarious because I was like, so if he had a Snickers, would she turn into a regular girl? <laughs> like all the new ads? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now I want to see a, a TV Snickers spot where the angry person is She-Hulk. Well, and I also like how she says, I didn't even get a trial. I didn't get a jury. So not only am I in hell, but I'm offended as an attorney. Right, like, yeah. That's a nice touch. But yeah, I love how she's just like, Snickers, Toblerone? Yeah. Anything. And so old man Logan's like, um, but Hulks can like jump over anything to anywhere. So why don't you just jump out? He's like, I can't. Yeah. Which to me is weird. Why can't she? Because there's something keeping her in. Some force. Oh. Yeah. But then I love how Wolverine's like. Well, you can jump really high and then throw me. Yeah. Fastball special. Fastball special. So and this, he looks over his shoulder. He's about to leave. He's like, well, maybe you can throw me. Throw you? Fastball special. That's cool. And then the zombies find him again. We get an awesome giant panel of zombie venom attacking old man Logan. Yeah. Which is just fantastic. It is. It's seriously awesome. Yeah. And then She-Hulk and old man Logan tag team him. And that's just brutal. Like She-Hulk beats him. She punches his face literally into the ground. And then he gets back up and Wolverine just slices and dices the way only Wolverine or Old Man Logan can. And then we get some nice brutal scenes that are very reminiscent of Walking Dead. For example, Old Man Logan stabbing a zombie through the throat. Yeah. But eventually She-Hulk tackles him. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. Cannot skip this part. Yeah. So he gets bit by a zombie saber tooth. And we kind of learned that the reason he's not turning into a zombie is because of his healing factor. Right. Which is a similar reason for She-Hulk as well. Right. Um, but he gets bit and he can feel it like like his body fighting whatever this is. Right. The virus or whatever. And then just racks his body with pain. He starts thinking he never should have left home. Does he stab himself? I, I don't think that's what he's doing. That's what it looks like. I think he's like flailing. It's I, just weird the way it's... Yeah, it is kind of weird. There's a panel where he may or may not be stabbing himself in the forearm. Oh, I wonder if he's falling back. Because in the panel before that, right, he's, he's got diving, both claws. Then he gets pulled away. Yeah, and maybe it's that. It's That's what I thought until you asked. Okay. But. Just the way... I, If I had been the artist, I just wouldn't have put the claws pointing out. I would have just stopped it. So the, the reader uses their imagination that the claws stop behind the hand uh, instead of through the hand. Fair enough. But She-Hulk saves him from the zombie hordes. She jumps him up and fastball special. Yes. But she gets attacked by a giant pterodactyl and Wolverine sees her kind of fade away, fade away, fade away. This is actually a very cool panel because it's from Wolverine's eyes. So you can yes. see his feet and his hands. Yeah. And then She-Hulk just getting swallowed by a pterodactyl. Well, and you see, like, the... Which I'm assuming is a zombie Saron. Yeah. It's just amazing that the only thing keeping all of that in is that giant wall. Right. Kind of reminds me of World War Z. A little bit. Then, of course, I'm assuming as his vision blurs, that's him passing out. As we fade to black, 
Yeah. And then we get a nice panel of, of tall, skinny panels. Sorry, a nice page of tall, skinny panels. And we follow a red square of Wolverine's body flying through the sky, three different buildings, and gets up, and he is in Manhattan. Yes. Which we know, for, if you're reading along in Secret Wars, is the place, is actually the focal point of Doom's world. And there's actually the, the main two Earths that were having the incursion that led to Secret Wars were 616 and the Ultimate Universe. And they both coexist in our version of Manhattan. And that's where he gets. So it's just kind of more proof, kind of our Kung Fu story, Master Kung right. Fu, that Wolverine's wandering from place to place, but that he's also tying into the, the big picture. Yep. So I thought the art was pretty amazing. I thought it was fabulous. I thought the story was pretty good. It was probably... I felt like it was a bridge. It was probably the weakest of the series so far, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I liked the interaction with him and She-Hulk. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I did feel like it was a bridge, especially when you got to the end. It was like, oh, okay. I didn't really, you, you don't learn anything pivotal in it. And so that's why I kind of feel like it was a bridge. You're, it's just getting you from point A to point B. But I did enjoy the conversation and the writing that happened inside of it. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's really just an excuse for Sorrentino to go nuts and, and draw old man Logan fighting zombies. Yeah. So so that's pretty cool. So all that together, what are you going to grade old man Logan number four? I'm going to give it five out of six. Well, okay. I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to go four out of six. Cars. Whoa. Yeah. I, en- I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Oh, see, I, but I enjoyed the zombie part of it. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, it's always fun to see Wolverine destroy stuff. Yeah. But I just enjoyed the zombie part. Yeah, well, that's fine. So before we move on, I'm going to talk real fast about Ultimate End Number 4. This is again written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Mark Bagley, inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Justin Ponsor, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Woohoo! And in this story, basically, we just talked about Manhattan. Right. And this is about Manhattan. This is about how the main universe, the 616, and the Ultimate Universe are, co- are trying to coexist in this one land, and no one's really happy about it, and everybody's fighting. So on the cover, we have Ultimate Spider-Man in a ripped-up costume on top of the bodies of a bunch of 616 heroes. It's a pretty cool cover. Yeah, I dig it. So you would think that the reunion of Bendis and Bagley at the end of the Ultimate Universe would be like the dream team, this amazing story. You know, you have Miles on the cover, and let's be honest, he's the only thing anybody really cares about the Ultimate Universe anymore, which is why he's going to be in the regular universe after Secret Wars. But he's not really in it, except for on the cover and the last page. And this series so far has, I mean, the art's been fine, but the story's been kind of dull. I don't know. It's just not what you would want from the series, I don't think. I just, it's kind of a snoozer. But the reason I bring it up and we have a double page spread with all the different heroes getting ready to fight. And of course, included in that, we have, in the Ultimate Universe, Wolverine's son, James Jr., right? I think is what he's called. And he's going to do some fighting. Of course, he has blonde hair and he's wearing a brown shirt. But I'm pretty sure, because we see him on this page and then in the middle page below, we have another Wolverine that could have blonde or gray hair. 
Yeah. But his face looks older, and he's wearing a black shirt instead of a brown shirt. And I think this is supposed to be Old Man Logan. Ooh. They do not mention it or address it at all. He's just, I kind of like that. There's just one panel of him peeking around the corner. <laughs> just kind of in the middle of nowhere. But I'm pretty sure this is like the con- more connective tissue between what we just got at the end of Old Man Logan number four. I mean, this is the world he just landed in. Right. And I think we see him kind of sneaking around. So I thought that was kind of cool. Overall, I'm going to give Ultimate End number four. Um, I'm going to give it two out of six claws. I don't really care for it, to be honest, which is too bad because I love this creative team and the idea of, I guess what it is, because it hasn't really felt like, I know it'll probably eventually be like the end of the Ultimate Universe, but right now it just seems like a bunch of bickering for no reason. (laughs) So anyway, that's Ultimate End number four. All right, so now we're going to go out to Jack to get an update on years of future past. Take it away, Jack. Hello, listeners of the podcast that goes snicked. My name is Jack Chambers. You may know me from the Intercomics podcast. You may know me from my previous appearances on this show and my reviews of Years of Future Past, previous issues. I'm here because I'm an idiot and totally forgot to send my review of issue three through to Jason. So I'm here to review issue three and issue four as one big thing for this week's episode. So, let's start with issue three. First of all, holy crap, what an amazing cover. Lockheed is a giant dragon, being awesome, murderizing sentinels and whatnot. Probably my favorite cover from a Secret Wars tie-in in a long, long time. Um, and that's saying something because that, that series has so many tie-ins. But anyway, I'm very pleased to say it is actually picking up pace. And I'm really starting to enjoy this series now. I'm kind of glad that I signed up for reviewing this for the Snicktcast. So we're getting a bit more pacing and a bit more development. Basically there's less exposition from a lot of the characters. We've kind of got the whole Kate Pride, Christina thing going on and and Cameron gets some really amazing moments here as well. It's fantastic to see these characters actually get to do things and, and like I mentioned before you kind of get the sense of Christina is actually an important character now whereas in the first two issues they were saying that but not actually showing anything to prove that whereas now we're actually getting towards interactions with Nightcrawler and um, the the Cathedral of Doom which is um, which is quite nice because <laughs> we kind of hadn't, this hadn't really tied into the rest of Secret Wars, the whole Doom world, God Doom thing that is going on in the rest of the Secret Wars Um Nightcrawler has an amazing moment and they visit the Cathedral of Doom which is a uh, yeah, really interesting creepy moment and uh, yeah, it's, it, it, I'm really enjoying actually starting to enjoy this series Christina and Cameron in particular really get some nice character moments to shine and their kind of interactions and stuff them being the younger characters give us a kind of interesting view on the world in Secret Wars as we know it. Margaret Bennett is kind of really stepping up to the plate I feel now like it was two issues of setup and now we're getting the real meat of the story so issue three big improvement and it is going to get four out of six claws from me now on to issue four I like this even more than I liked issue three so yeah there was 
a lot of plot twists in this, so I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to try not to spoil anything, but there is some... Once again, Christina and Cameron get some really, really great moments, and there is a big, big twist coming up in a... So much so that I was chatting uh, to the guys on the Intercomics podcast the other day, and there were like, this was one of those, oh my god, have you read this moments in the book where there's this huge kind of twist towards the end, a quite unbelievable thing, and it kind of has really interesting twists in a way that kind of remind me of a lot of things like Hunger Games or the kind of uh, young adult novels and and that kind of series of things like the Maze Runner and things like that because you've got these bunch of young characters and they're trying to survive in this world that they're not entirely familiar with and it's all about the characters and their interactions basically it gives off a similar sort of vibe there's a little not quite a love scene but there's possible romance happening and um, treachery and betrayal and things like that with um, some of the more well-known X-Men characters. Like I said, I'm trying not to spoil anything, so um just going to try and review it as best I can without <laughs> absolutely ruining it for all you guys. If you haven't read this issue, bear with it, like I said, for the first two issues, and then three and four are really, really starting to pick up. There's some fantastic moments in the in the action scenes as well. Mike Norton, who I mentioned as kind of the standout member of the creative team in the previous reviews I did, has just continued being fantastic. It's more so that Bennett is now, Margaret Bennett, the the writer, is now keeping up with Norton and the artistic team and really kind of getting a chance to take advantage of Norton's fantastic visual storytelling that he's able to do, even through his action scenes and through some really interesting shots and and angles that he chooses to use. Basically, it's, it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I'm so pleased that this is kind of picked up recently basically um because i was so worried that i'm just going to be sat here saying the same thing over and over again hi jason don't like the book two claws out of six like who cares but i I really really like that this has now got some interesting dynamics to it and it's adding more to the characters rather than just having them be on the page and being told they're interesting actually adding interesting facets to their characters and page i think it's 10 or 15 is a particular highlight for me there's a sorry um it's from page eight onwards there's a fantastic moment with magneto and some sentinels and uh yeah some really really cool stuff with magneto like controlling sentinels from within and riding them across the skies and yeah it it, it also kind of reminds me of a couple of moments that i think of um Young Avengers, which is a huge compliment if you know anything about me and my tastes. Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's Young Avengers series has been one of my favourites of the last few years. And there is moments of greatness in this. So yeah, overall, I'm enjoying this. And uh, I'm going to go up even more. I've gone from like two claws up to four with issue three. Now I'm going, I guess, like four and a half-popped claw. You know where he just, like, Wolverine slides it up to the guy's chin and he says, I can extend this claw all the way, bub. Kind of like four and a half claws is what I'm going for here. So, yeah, issue three of Years of Future Past, four claws out of six. Years of Future Past, issue four, four and a half. Really getting into it. I think this is building up towards a really nice finale. Uh, Thank you, Jason, for having me on, and I'm sure I'll be back again soon reviewing another issue of this series so let's hope it continues with the uh, upwards trend of quality with issue five all right thanks jack 
Real quick, since he didn't mention it, and before I forget, you can follow Jack on Twitter. He's at JLWChambers. And of course, the Intercomics Podcast is at Intercomicspod. That's Inter, I-N-T-E-R. Um, and of course, you can look up their podcast on iTunes. It is a wonderful show. And thanks again, Jack, for doing that. I'm going to agree with him mostly. I do think the series is definitely getting better. I really, there's a couple of highlights for number four. Um, first of all, the, the Art Adams cover. Wolverine looks very kind of a Battlestar Galactica. I thought that was really cool. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful cover. The other part, there's a part after... Um, well, when Wolverine confronts Magneto, and, and Magneto throws him up against the wall, and he goes, I am not sure how many apocalypses we must endure before you remember you have a metal skeleton, Logan. At least a few more, it would seem. <laughs> so I will say, again, I agree, the Mike Norton art is awesome. And I thought the story got a little better. The dialogue's still a little eh for me. I don't... I don't think I'm liking it quite as much as Jack is. And the twist and stuff, I, I enjoyed. I do think we're getting better characterization. I don't think I liked it as much as Jack. In fact, I would say that I enjoyed listening to his review more than I did reading the comic. <laughs> and A, I thought his review was fantastic. And B, I just, I agree the book's getting better, but I'm still not quite hooked all the way in. You know, he talked about the distinction between telling us that uh, Chrissy and Cameron were important and actually making them important. And that's something we've kind of talked about in the first three issues that I felt didn't really happen. I feel like it's happening a little bit in four, but I'm still kind of feeling, I don't know, I just, I'm not quite hooked in as much as it seems Jack is, which is fine. I'm just, I'm not quite at that level where I really... I'm invested in these two younger mutants. But there are some good little twists and kind of the the philosophical ramblings by Cameron at the end of the issue are, are decent. Um, he kind of talks about evolution and the mutant place and whether they deserve to survive. And um, opposed to kind of like maybe Senator Kelly's like just kind of rampant anti-mutant hysteria, he talks about how since mutants came around, there's been all these ways nature has tried to purge it. So it's not it's like nature is against mutant kinds. Like it was an aberration and all these things that have oppressed mutants in Cameron's mind are just nature's way of trying to fix the mistake it made, kind of like reset things back to normal. And I thought that was a, a new kind of interesting way to play off of kind of the anti-mutant sentiment instead of it just, I mean, you're still probably wrong, but instead of it just being like bigotous hatred, he actually like has kind of a philosophy on, on the whole situation. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So I'm also going to go up on number four. I mean, just just a half a claw under Jack, which I loved his explanation of his half claw. <laughs> Always love when Wolverine's got his fist under someone's chin. But um, yeah, I'm going to go four out of six claws on Years of Future Past, number four. And so next up, we have Dan with Extinction Agenda. Take it away, Dan. Hello, Snickcast listeners. This is Dan from Battleworld, Cole, and I'm here again to review Extinction Agenda. Yes, I wasn't here for the second issue, but as a quick summary, things sort of went downhill for the second issue. Out of six six claws, I'm only going to give it three. I feel like everything that I liked about the first issue started to give way uh, to just action, and although it had a few of the sort of uh, ideological elements in it that I really enjoyed. I think it was more, let's just have a load of mutants fight. And 
unfortunately, I, I feel like issue 3 is going the same way. So, I'm here to talk about Extinction Agenda issue 3, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Carmine Di Giordomenko, colorist Nolan Woodard, there are VC Corris Petit, cover artist David Nakayama. Uh, talking about the cover, it is just a man, a massively muscled man, wearing a yellow costume, which which is revealed later in the issue to be some remnant of Warlock. There's nothing really much to say about the issue. It's It's got like a little bit of motion to it, but otherwise it's quite a bland cover, to be honest. Just a giant, big man, red background. The end. We start the issue with a flashback of Cameron Hodge's brief demise at the hands of Cyclops and Havoc, um, followed by Aldous Kludge basically hamming it up as a mad scientist, talking all about how it was him that released the plague, and that he has a remnant of a warlock with the transmode virus to help resurrect Cameron Hodge, who is nothing more than just a head in a bottle. Then we jump quickly over to Rachel Gray talking to her X-Men in X-City, and she has handpicked Rockside, Longshot, Ink, Storm, Thunderbird, and herself to go to Genosha and get back uh, Triage and Rogue and Wolverine and Boom Boom, who have all been kidnapped in last issue's attack. Then we move straight on to Richter having a few personal words with Tabitha, and it just rockets along. There, there is no time to breathe with characters. From that, we're on to Triage and Rogue healing Genotians with Havoc looking on, and then boom, out of nowhere, the X Men attack. And it's a full-on brawl. For most of the issue, it's just the X-Men are just beating the... Abs- now they're prepared, they're beating the absolute living crap out of Havoc and his men. Longshot manages to free Wolverine and such forth by just being lucky, as usual. And pretty much every single character uh, gets their asses whooped. Apart from Bulletproof, who does a lot of damage for Alex's side and falls with Thunderbird, conveniently, someone would say, into the lab where Kludge is going crazy and trying to make a Cameron Hodge doll. Rain also falls into the same lab, and together they find out that Kludge was the one that was spreading the virus, creating the virus, and is about to make Cameron Hodge live again. But then Ink jumps in and nukes Bulletproof in the face, which doesn't seem to kill him. Instead, he accidentally falls into the um, transmit virus and turns into the thing you find on the front cover. And then... All the long shot and the escaped Wolverine and Boom Boom turn up. Wolverine basically is like, I'm going to kill everything, and then all of a sudden, giant Terminator Cameron Hodge robot monstrosity appears. And that's pretty much the end, with Hodge versus everyone as the last sentence. Unfortunately, what happened with this issue is exactly what I didn't want, which was the X-Men fight each other and then come together to destroy Hodge, who has been behind most of everything. To begin with, fair enough, it was Kludge, not Hodge, that was behind everything. But it's just pretty standard affair now. The ideological differences about should they, should X City help the Genosian mutants in the plague, or should they leave them to die, has completely been misinterpreted as let's just have two massive fights. This is no longer a book with good character moments. Literally, the moment between Victor and Tabitha are a few words that mean nothing because we've never meant, seen these characters before. So it's just pointless, almost, to even have character moments. There was no driving factor. It's just a fight book, and 
it's not even a very fun fight book. It's just, boom, have the X-Men turn up, they're organised, therefore they win. The end. There's some, like, the art is gorgeous. That's the only thing, one of the only redeeming qualities, is the art is absolutely gorgeous. Gian Domenico, I can't even say it. Uh, Gian Domenico, Domenico, Gian Domenico, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Is literally smashing every individual panel out of the park. Uh, Woodard's colours just make everything pop. It, the book looks great and very different and really unique in in certain aspects. There's a lot of like dynamic shots, but unfortunately, there's no substance to all the pretty. It's just at the end of the day, a fight book with some really predictable story beats. To be fair, the whole bulletproof turning into a robot killing machine was a bit left field, but does it really matter? Because yeah. And for you Snickcast listeners, Wolverine is essentially a psychopath in this. He just wants to murder anything. And he basically repeats the same lines over and over and again. So, you know, uh, damn that's cold is his new catchphrase. So on that note, this very brief review, because let's face it, there's nothing to really review. And that's the disappointment of Extinction Agenda. It had a great premise, and it just turned into another fight book. And exactly what I thought. What I didn't want to happen actually is happening right in front of me. Therefore, out of six claws, unfortunately, I'm going to deduct another claw and give it two out of six. And that's mainly for the art and the colour. It has nothing to do with the actual content of the story or plot. So, there you have it. Until next time, will it improve? Probably not. But who knows? So, see you later. Alright, thanks Dan. And again, man, these intra-comics guys are being extra humble this episode. Dan's Twitter, if you want to agree or disagree with him. I'm going to open that up. <laughs> there you go, Dan. Um, anyway, it's at Gizmo151183. And of course, he's also on the Intracomics podcast, which is at Intracomics pod. So go check those out again. And man, I cannot agree with Dan more. He pretty much nailed everything I feel about this book. Yeah, and Wolverine is particularly bad. Guggenheim's Wolverine is a flat, flat caricature of, like, the earliest Wolverine. And I know they had the little spin, like, like beast up to his old time-plucking shenanigans where this is this is Wolverine from, like, super early in his X-Men career where he was a little more, like, you know, fine. But even then, it's... It's hammed up in the worst way possible. And yeah, the the whole, you know, you read interviews that, that John Byrne wanted Wolverine to be a psychopath. And Guggenheim, it's like he didn't read comics with Wolverine appearances. He just read that line stuck in some graphic novel that in a John Byrne interview was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I second the art is amazing particularly i really still really love jean domenico's um wolf's bane and dan don't apologize to me you didn't say my name wrong at all (laughs) you can write endless twitter apologies to this guy for having a super hard name to pronounce for americans and brits alike but yeah anyway art is beautiful colors are beautiful the book is terrible so i'm gonna go with dan i'm gonna give it the exact same rating for the exact same reasons so i will give extinction agenda number three two out of six claws all right and next up also from the intracomics podcast we have matt with e is for extinction all right matt away we go hello everybody it 
it's Matthew again from the Intercomics Podcast. I'm here to talk to you about Ease for Extinction number three. Number three. I don't know why I'm singing it here. I don't know. Uh, last time we were here, the X-Men, who had come together and fought off the fiendish Magneto, were beginning to get attacked by an army of Hank McCoys. Now... I'm a sucker for Hank McCoy, so an army of them can only ever be a good thing. Turns out, it's not really an army of Hank McCoys. It's basically a virus. They're being attacked by midi-chlorians in this issue. That's essentially the gist of it. The virus has manifested itself inside Hanks from all over Battleworld, and it's kind of making them all go crazy. But we, you know, we get a nice, it's a good action issue, this one, number three. There's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of blood, there's, you know, some baseball bats to the face. You can't go wrong with some good old-fashioned violence like that. One thing that is nice is we get to see Emma Frost and the Stepford Cuckoos working together in unison and becoming this giant, almost cosmic-like psychic force which has got some really nice visuals to it. There's some really incredible artwork that's going on over these couple of issues, uh, a couple of pages, sorry, where they're all teamed up together. Mainly it's the colour that is doing it, because as I've said before, I'm not a huge fan of this art style, but visually it's really impressive. It looks really, really great. And it's sort of like in this sequence where we find out that it is midi-chlorians, that's, you know, making all the Hanks go a bit mental. Stupid midi-chlorians. Um, yeah, so, you know, everyone goes a bit crazy. Even our very own beloved beast, our beast, the proper beast, even he goes mental and starts trying to eat people. Which is, you know, shocking. He's, you know, the, the beast is a nice guy. Beast is the kind of dude that you want on your team. Because, you know... He'll save your life, and then he'll give you give you a big cuddle afterwards. He's not gonna take a chunk out of one of the step cuckoos because he's just he's not that guy, you know. He's a nice guy, you know. He buy flowers, you know. He'll rent the movie that you want to watch, you know. He's he's basically the guy that every guy wants to be, and all the women want to be with. Because who doesn't want a giant teddy bear? Let's be honest. So, you know, we we get a little bit of a throwdown between our Hank and, you know, some of the X-Men. It's, you know, it's different, it's shocking, it's sort of entertaining. But I suppose the big reveal in this issue is, uh, is the return of Charles Xavier. Now, for anyone that was keeping score when this, like, series started, pretty much the first panel of the book is Charles Xavier blowing his brains out putting a 9mm to his temple and just pulling the trigger. But he is back from some kind of MacGuffin, which they haven't explained yet, but I'm sure it would be a good MacGuffin. He is now back and he's in the body of Quentin Choir. So he's got his sort of like chrome dome look, but he's also got this cool like pink mohawk thing going on. It's possibly the most stylish that Xavier's ever looked in the history of everything. You know, it's, it's very rare that he, you know... He, he looks good in a suit, you know? But he's usually sat down in that little yellow floaty wheelchair. It, it, 
he doesn't look suave or cool most of the time, but now he does. And it is it is this unified Charles Quentin super dude that comes along and it's it's him who takes down all of the crazy midichlorian beasts using his psychic power and Quentin's telekinetic power which can go to a subatomic level as he likes to tell you if you're gonna slap someone down make sure that you're doing it like completely make sure you can be like I'm I'm so going to own you that I can literally pull you to pieces from the very tiny things that make you into a person that's that's called being a boss kids just if anyone you know needs clarification on that so you know Charles and Quentin saved the day our beast is, you know, a little shook up. He's like, oh, God, I've tried to eat people. What's going on? Everyone's patting Xavier on the back. He's like, yeah, hey, you're here. You saved us all. Let's all hug and stuff. But, you know, we get another cliffhanger, obviously. It's 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 a series of cliffhangers, this medium. That's all you get. You don't ever get, like, any resolution. You always get, like, the next thing leading you along. And emerging from the Phoenix Force egg which has been the centre of this story for so long, is Cassandra Nova, she's the phoenix, and everyone's kind of terrified now. Everyone's pretty much assuming that they're going to die. Except for Logan, he doesn't really care. I think he's just, like, a little disappointed that, you know, Jean hasn't just come out of the egg and, like, you know, given him a big hug and been like, it's okay, I love you all along. I don't really like Cyclops. He's a bit of a douche. Yeah, I don't see that happening. So, yeah, you know, overall, it's a fairly exciting issue. Like I said, it's, it's pretty action-packed. It's it's good fun. You know, there's a it's fairly brisk. Just a lot of people getting punched in the face or shot at by face lasers. You know, it, it's not, you know, I think it's not the best book of the series so far. Uh, but it was, it was probably the most enjoyable. It was the most entertaining, I think, because it was just a good fight book. You know, it's one of those things that you get with the X-Men. It's either you get a lot of melodrama or you get a lot of fights. You don't ever get anything in between. They just don't do it for some reason. So, you know, it's good. It's not great. It's, you know, definitely not the worst one. It's not the best one. It's right in the middle. It's like the third option. It's not good. It's not bad. It's number three, right down the middle. So yeah, you know, check back in with me with a, in about a month, and we'll do number four, and we'll see what's going to happen then. All right. Thank you, Matt. I'm going to assume, based on his comments, everything is right down the middle, that he meant to give that a three out of six claws. <laughs> and before I forget, another inner comics guy uh, did not give his Twitter. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> anyway, his Twitter is at geekwithoutfear. And he's a fun guy to follow. And, of course, he is also on the Intercomics podcast, which is at intercomicspod. So check both those out if you haven't already. Also, real fast, the, the, the book was written by Chris Burnham and Dennis Culver. Art by Raymond Villalobos. Colors by Ian Herring. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And the cover is by Ian Bertram and Dave Stewart. And I actually kind of like the cover. It's very kind of cartoon strippy. But basically we have a human Hank McCoy. You know, like a 
tie and shirt with some pins in his pockets, surrounded by a plethora of alternate beasts, all in the same kind of Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly era X-Men jackets, all a big black jacket with a big red X. So we have this assortment of blue beasts just kind of standing around, and it's some pretty cool-looking cover. I agree with Matt, not crazy about the art, but the psychedelic mind meld of Emma and the uh, Stepford Cuckoo whatever sisters pretty nice and psychedelic and uh, i agree with matt also it's mostly the color that does it don't care for wolverines like andre the giant unitard he's wearing not a good look especially considering how hairy he is and i like matt don't love the art i may have just said that but anyway but the exception besides the psychedelic hive mind panel the alternate beast actually look not bad it's just humans he's not too great at <laughs> So um yeah I agree this was this was more fun than the series has been so far it felt kind of late 90s early 2000s x-men like just kind of twist after twist after twist and action action and but still character stuff kind of fun you know so I am going to give kind of the same grade I'm actually going to go one well and that art is tough but the colors are cool yeah, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna do what I what I'm assuming Matt meant to do. I'm gonna give E is for Extinction number three, three out of six claws. So next up we have Chandler with Age of Apocalypse. All right, take it away, Chandler. Hi. Uh, so sadly, this is gonna have to be a little bit rushed. I've had a very busy couple of weeks and finally get the chance to sit down and talk about the second issue of the Age of Apocalypse tie into Secret Wars. The first issue I rated very highly and enjoyed a whole lot. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy the second issue, just not as much. And that seems to be the case for a lot of Secret Wars books that started off wonderful and are slowly losing traction, particularly anything related to mutants. The issue I think that arose with this second issue is that in the beginning of the first, with the death of a whole number of characters, we were able to focus on a couple of the characters in this world more, and it was a good surprise. But a lot of the charm from the initial Age of Apocalypse event, series, whatever you want to call it, is lost with several of those characters. I'm glad that we're left with the Summers Brothers, and I'm glad we're left with Dark Beast and Wolverine with this group of horsemen so we are giving characters to work with but at the same time we do lose a lot of the more fun and exciting characters that we were hoping to see a lot of the creative team stays the same and does an excellent job and it still does feel like it came straight out of the event just just if the event were smaller and a bit less charming regardless it is one of the better she wars books maybe not top five material but probably place it at top 10 so far and let's hope it does not fall apart like the rest. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Chandler. So uh, he did send me a message after he sent me the review and said that he meant to give Age of Apocalypse two, four out of six claws. And um, I just want to talk a little bit. Um, I mostly agree with Chandler both about this particular issue and about the Secret Wars X books in general that kind of seem to they kind of do like they start off with a pretty good premise and then just kind of slip and slide down into different various rabbit holes 
But yeah, so this one was fun, but not quite as fun as number one. Um, on the cover, you know, we, we um, hypothesized that we would have kind of a covers that made a bigger image, and that's what we get. So we're missing both the Wolverine's hands, but we have Wolverine front and center with uh, Colossus and somebody else in the back. And then I'm assuming, you know, we had Wolverine's left hand in front of Magneto on number one. I'm assuming his right hand will be in front of somebody else on number three. And that's what we'll have. Uh, but it's a pretty cool cover. And, you know, the art's pretty good. story's pretty good. Uh, basically, the X-Men rescue uh, Cypher and kidnap Cyclops. And we find out that Carol Danvers is working with a human resistance to try to unleash Yet another Secret Wars battle world mutant virus. There seems to be one in every mutant story. And then at the end, Apocalypse is like, the humans won and tried to kill us with the virus. Bring it on! And I mean, it's fun. It feels like good X-Men. Fabian does a a good job. I'm going to agree with Chandler, though. I'm going to give it not quite as high marks as number one. I'm going to also go four out of six claws. So next up, we have House of M number one. Now, Georgie was going to do this for us, but he's going through some uh, potential life changes, um, moving from one continent and country to another, and also moving from one end of Battle World to the other. I'm transferring him from X-92, the toilet that is X-92, to uh, the hopefully better land of House of M. Unfortunately, all poor Georgie has to travel with in Battle World is a... uh, a broken down silver surfboard with wheels. So it's like kind of like a silver skateboard. And uh, it just it doesn't go too fast. But he's making his way across. And hopefully he will be able to join us for issue number two. So House of M is written by Dennis Hopeless. Art is by Marco Faya. I think that's how you say that. I honestly have no idea. I don't know if it's more European or more Spanish or whatever. But uh. Being from Texas, I will pronounce the double L like a Y and say Faya. Matt Wilson does the colors. VC's Joe Caramagna does the letters. And then the cover is by Chris Anka. And the cover is kind of some various House of M characters standing under a House of M emblem with pink confetti falling from the sky. It's a pretty nice cover. It's fine. So basically, we find out the Magneto, you know, he got his wish. He's over the monarchy of M. But he feels that by becoming a king and having no more fights, he's lost his warrior's way. He's growing soft. And he dreams of the time he used to fight everything and fight everybody. So we have our shield, which is mutant task force. Because remember, in this land, the mutants rule and the humans are under their thumb. So we have mutants running around in a giant sentinel led by Wolverine. And there's a human resistance in Genosha. At Josie's Bar. It looks like we have uh, Nick Cage, Bullseye, Speedball, Iron Fist, um, Shang-Chi, Misty Knight, White Tiger, Darkhawk, Electra, Moon Knight, Hawkeye, Mockingbird, somebody else, maybe, the, I don't know, some other people, Gladiator of all people, is on the human team. And so Luke Cage, kind of with some Nick Cage here. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> little cage on cage. Anyway, he gives a nice rousing uh, Rudy Hoosiers type speech. But as he's wrapping it up, a sentinel foot comes through the roof and stops him. <laughs> then we get an awesome panel of Wolverine leading the mutant shield agents through the hole in the roof. There's a hole in the roof. We have Toad and Rogue and 
what I'm guessing is Marrow, maybe? And Nightcrawler and Mystique and a really cool-looking Sasquatch. So Marco F. does a good job with that. And we get a lot of fighting, and Wolverine goes to town, man. He cuts off Misty Knight's arm, he stabs Iron Fist in the chest, kills him, presumably, maybe. Then, you know, um, he gets shot in the eye with Hawkeye's arrows. <laughs> and he pulls out the arrow with the eyeballs on the end. But the humans escape. Then Quicksilver comes back. He just ran from Atlantis. He's sopping wet, getting water all over the banquet hall. He's meeting his sisters, um, Polaris, or Polaris, however you want to say it, and Scarlet Witch. And he's up to no good, because he's always up to no good. Anyway, the humans are still trying to get away from the Sentinels, but they're being tracked down until they find Death Locket, which is a teenage female Deathlock in a dumpster, and she shoots uh, EMP, black hole, bomb, whatever, at the Sentinel, and it literally is crunched into a ball, and she leads the humans away. Magneto gets asked by Polaris, why aren't you going to meet with Neymar? He's like, because I'm bored, and I have to read this book. So Quicksilver goes back to Atlantis. Neymar's like, you sure take a long time for such a fast guy. But they, they're up, they're planning something, and Magneto doesn't have a clue. So I thought this was pretty good. thought the art was fine. The highlight of the art, I thought, was the, the panel of the mutant strike force, the, the shield agents, if you will, jumping out of the Sentinel's mouth through the hole in the roof. That, that was a really nice panel. And the, the story's fine. It was good. Uh, I'll give it four out of six claws. So anyway, that's House of M. I expect that Georgie's review would have been much better than mine. But alas, you got stuck with me. So sorry. Oh, I forgot to give... All right, Chandler's Twitter is a pray for Chandler with the number four. So, you know, feel free to tweet at him. Give him some love. So next up, we have, uh, we're going to go back to the studio with Ethan and Denise for Giant Size Little Marvel. Avengers versus X-Men versus you. <laughs> okay. Well, last but not least, but definitely littlest, we have Ethan coming on again to cover Giant Size Little Marvel AVX number three. Hello. Hi. <laughs> this is Words and Art by Scotty Young. Colors by Jean-Francois Bolu. Letters by Jeff Eckleberry. And production design by Idette Weincourt. And then the cover is also by Scotty Young. And what's on the cover, Ethan? So we have Captain America and um, Cyclops in their secret hideout. Yes, in their tree houses that are right next to each other. And it almost looks like um, Captain America is strangling Cyclops. (laughs) I believe that he is. It looks like they're cat fighting. Have you ever seen those videos of cats fighting? And they're like, and they bat their hands back and forth. Yeah, I saw that in high school almost every day. (laughs) But then at the bottom, under the treehouses, we have all the characters from the Avengers and X-Men and the... There's arms and legs yes. and tails. Coming out of a dust cloud of rough and tumble. Yeah, so do you like the cover? Yes. I like how um, kind of everybody has a sword, but since Iron Man can't really hold a sword, 
he just makes a little like Iron well, Man. He's shooting his repulsor rays. Yes. And then Wolverine, we have Wolverine claws, and we have Iceman with an ice spike, and then Storm's mohawk, Nightcrawler's tail, Hulk's foot, <laughs> Colossus's arm, and Magic's sword. All right. Well, remember what happened last time. So we had some twins, and what are they trying to do? They're the new kids in town. Um, they're trying to go to two different secret hideouts, and they they were wondering why why are two secret hideouts have the same direction. Yes. So the little X-Men and the little Avengers are both trying to recruit the new kids to be in their club. And that's kind of where we pick up. So we have another theme song. Welcome to Battle Earth, super fun for boys and girls, where a dinosaur gets beat up by hulks, and Steve Rogers is a, uh, uh, something something rhymes with hulks, um, it's a giant size little Marvel, Avengers versus X-Men. With an asterisk, an editor's note. Scotty didn't think this theme song thing through very well. He has been punished. That cracked me up. Yes. All right, so who, where do we go first? Which clubhouse? Um, we go to the X-Men. Yes, and so they're going to give the twins a tour. And uh, the twins ask, well, why, do you want, why do you want us on your team so bad? And we have Little Rogue still on her X-Phone. <laughs> and she says, we think your personalities are just the right fit for our dying. Twins! You're twins, bubs! That's super cool and it would make us look super cool. <laughs> of course, little Wolverine would think that. Yeah, you know, I do a podcast all about Wolverine. And, uh-huh. And he's supposed to be on my side. Uh-huh. Twins are not cool. Twins are creepy. <laughs> for those who don't know... Jason uh, gets completely creeped out by twins. Well, by identical twins, anyway. Yes, yeah. which cracks me up because you do watch that design show that has the identical twin brothers on it. Yeah. It doesn't seem to creep you out. No, it's bedtime. <laughs> I have nightmares every night. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. But then uh, what does Cyclops say? Can you read that, Ethan? Don't listen to my friend permanently hairy no, friend. No. Oh. My prematurely hairy friend. <laughs> Which is a funny thing to say about little Wolverine. So then they're going to do a tour. And where do they go first? They go to the elevator in the, the 6D movie room. Yes. Which is the worst idea ever. Because it, it says, whoa, it's a 3D Nope, it's 60. What does that mean? It means that the TV can kill you and stuff. Yeah. So they're watching a movie of Fing Fang Foom destroying the city. And then his head comes out of the screen and eats all the X-Men. <laughs> and, it, and Cyclops is so happy about that it can kill you. <laughs> yes. Well, he says, we have a 400-inch uncanny HD TV. Do you know how many inches that is? 400. Yeah, that's like all the inches. <laughs> no, that was really funny. Plus, I love Scotty Young's Fing Fang Foom. It looks great. It's so cute. Such a cute little dragon that destroys everything. And then comes up is my favorite. Yeah, so we have an Iceman roller coaster. 
Which is awesome because the twins get scared. They're like, it's not finished yet. Well, the only person who is scared is the um, boy and the girl is just looking lazy. The I, boy's always scared. I think she looks stuff. sick to her stomach. Yeah, I think she's about to spew. Yeah. Yeah. But the roller coaster is finished because Bobby finishes it right as they jump across. Yeah, so they run out of ice and they're flying and then Bobby builds them a ramp of ice to land on. And then we go outside. <laughs> this <laughs> my, is my favorite. Yeah. All right, so you be Zoe. Okay. Ethan, you be Zebediah or whatever his name is. What's his name? Second year to this kid. Zachary. And I'll be Wolverine. So you're saying that Colossus will throw us through the air as hard as he can and it's supposed to be fun? There's no way this is safe. <laughs> The fastball special is a classic. Fire at will, Colossus. <laughs> and then Wolverine gets this ginormous grin on his face. And the kids are thrown, and here they land on. They land on the blob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they hit the blob. And they're like, this is gross. The grossest. <laughs> so then they, where do they go after that? They go to Beast. 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 How Beasts. Beast <laughs> Lab. Yeah, and I love Little Beast. I think he looks awesome. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorite designs that Scotty Young did. And, uh, of course, Cyclops is trying to be all cool. He's like, this is Beast Science Lab. It's so sick. Beast takes offense to that. Yes. What does he say? No, Cyclops, it's not. In fact, it's 2,000% beyond the standard health sterilization required by the Association of Treehouse Labs. Interesting. All I heard was nerd, nerd, nerdy nerds. <laughs> <laughs> but he's working on an experiment, and what does his experiment do, Ethan? He turns um, Zachary into a mouse. Okay. <laughs> and then he turns Zoe into what? Um, a little, like, a Hulk kind of thing. Yeah, she's like a cross between Hulk and... Hulk. She's the Hulkenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so basically he turns them into mutants so they can be part of the X-Men. And since they're now part of the X-Men and they get their cute little uniforms, Cyclops sends them to... The Danger Room. Yes, and we get a nice double-page spread, and I love this. I love Wolverine, like little Wolverine busting out the top of the Sentinel head. It's fantastic. Also, on the other page, it says, All you have to do... It's trying not to die. <laughs> <laughs> right. In the danger room. And again, he is so excited about dying. Yeah, Cyclops loves danger. <laughs> and speaking of danger, we go back to where? The Avengers room. The Avengers clubhouse. Little Cap is like, ah, the X-Men have the twins. I bet, he's, I bet they're over there in the danger room. And then what does Iron Man say? Why does everyone think their danger room is so cool? Everyone has a training simulator room. Sure, but their room is named Danger. No, that was funny. And then they get an alert of incoming twins, and Zachary and Zoe in their mutant form crash through the wall. Little Hulk offers them some caviar, and then a little Iron Man does what? Fixes them with some weird machine. With <laughs> s- he says, 
he he says like something with like shampoo and it, yeah. it, it looks like a car wash. It looks like a cross between a car wash and the movie Saw. <laughs> but yes, he turns them back to normal and they decide to go have some paintball fun. Uh, we and get a little Nick Fury. That was cool. My favorite was um when you look at um who is it? Um, war machine yes his gun is a giant paintball gun yes so the the original real war machine uh, part of his armor was he had a big gatling gun on his shoulder and so here they give him like a multi uh ammo paint gun on his shoulder like a little cannon kind of matched the gatling gun i thought that was pretty cool too and it shows when um it shows war machine shooting on the other side captain america is sort of cheating by using his shield to what? block it yeah yeah he's, he's definitely using his shield so the avengers don't have a danger room but what do they have instead where do they go they go to um what was it again i forgot asgard asgard that's right we have a cute giant monster and tiny thor is throwing his hammer around smashing monsters and he says, what's up with Zachary and Zoe, son and daughter of whatever your father's name is? <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> then so they go back to Captain America, but he's being boring. <laughs> and Boot Camp USA. Yeah. Because no one does it with him. Yep. And they go to a Spider-Man bounce house. And we get some good Avenger jokes here. So they make fun that, that Spider-Man is like, well, anybody can be an Avenger. I love, Wol- <laughs> I love Wolverine. He's like, shh, don't tell Cyclops. Yeah, so we get a joke about Wolverine being part of both teams. So he shows up and, um, yeah, he basically shushes them. I, I really like that panel. That panel was almost the episode cover. Went in a little bit different direction instead. Then we get a... Uh, a like a mecha Iron Man suit that the twins are supposed or to control like the together. Hulk oh yeah, it's yeah, it like is like a Hulk Buster. It's like it's like if you took like the olden days and then put it into a Hulk Buster, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Because it's so like the Hulk Buster is supposed to be like fat like Hulk. Right. But instead it's got giant shoulder pads, skinny arms, giant hands. Yeah. Skinny legs, giant feet. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. All right, why don't you be Iron Man on the front of this page? You've had your fun, but now I am going to show you the best part of being an Avenger. Meet the Iron Twins. Spelled with a Z because your name starts with Z. <laughs> Thank you, Jarvis. <laughs> That's my favorite part. <laughs> Iron Man's trying to be so cool. But so does their machine work? Mm, kind of not. Not I really. Mean, it, it, it works for one second and then it explodes. Right. So the whole machine is based on the fact that the twins share some kind of like psychic mind and they will cooperate. But they're just kids and they kind of argue with each other. And so the robot blows up. I like it because it looks like it's dancing crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then the two bottom panels on that page is are awesome. It's, it's the machine exploding, and then we have little Iron Man's like Looney Tunes like charred mark on his armor, yeah. like when Daffy Duck gets his beak shot off. And so while they explode, the twins get shot up in the sky, and they hit an invisible border. 
And that's just kind of a reference to let us know that it really is part of Battleworld and they can't leave their land. But they're caught by Baby Galactus, which is great. <laughs> he says, the little foods look the same. <laughs> and then, uh, why don't you be Zack and Mom can be Zoe? So, the little foods look the same. So, there's a giant kid with a very in- impractical headpiece on and a purple kid sitting in a flying recliner. <laughs> I told mom we should have moved to Weird World. Would have been way more normal. Hey, eyebrows, what's the deal with the sky being all not sky? Yeah, so eyebrows is little Thanos because he's got his big helmet on with the big eyebrows. And um, they're trying to figure it out. But then, as if the Avengers and X-Men weren't enough, someone else tries to come recruit the twins. Who is it, Ethan? The Guardians of the Galaxy, finally! (laughs) Yes. And I like Baby Groots and Baby Rocket Raccoon. They're just so cute. Yes, they are. Yeah, and to be continued. And next time we get a busted up toy box. That'll be fun. With all the um, Avenger, um, Avengers and X-Men just pieces just cracked and broken. And yeah. All right. So what did everyone think of the art in this book? Awesome. I agree. Yeah, I thought it was great. And what about the story? It was perfect. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I the, the end truly was a payoff. Yes. Well, it was funny. It was cute. I mean... Really, everything this series has been for all three issues, it just it keeps it up. So, Ethan, what are you going to grade Giant Size Little Marvel AVX number three? I'm going to do something that is over possible. One out of hundred costs. It's just too good. I can't even rate it. That's how good it is. Okay, so we're going to say six out of six. It's it's infinity clause. Infinite clause. Infinity Claws. That's how good this book is. <laughs> All right. Denise, what are you going to give number three? Six out of six. All right. I'll round it up. Six out of six claws. This book is perfect. It's exactly what you want it to be. It looks great. It's a ton of fun to read. So, well, Ethan, thank you very much for coming on and doing this again. I think we have Yay. one more. And then. And then that's it? I think so. <gasps> No. No Ant-Man. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if they pull in Ant-Man. I would like to see a little tiny Ant-Man. I mean, he's already tiny anyway, but. But, like, baby version of it. Yes. So, we'll see. But, um, anyway, that's it for that part. And we will go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. I think that was a bye. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's going to do it. For episode 144, A Secret Wars Update, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to all my special correspondents for pitching in and basically just making this easy for me. (laughs) But also, no, I really enjoy hearing everybody else's perspective and not just my same opinions over and over again. Though, hopefully next episode, I'll be a little less agreeable. I feel like I pretty much graded almost exactly the same as as all our correspondents. Uh, But anyway... Yeah, that is what it is. So, yeah, please leave an iTunes review, like the Facebook page, uh, email is snickcast at yahoo.com, Twitter is at snickcast, the webpage with show notes and stuff is snickcast.podbean.com, and that's it. So, until next time, hugs and snicks.
Bye.